Uh, Nick, it's our last episode uh, before we take a little bit of a break over the summer. And I don't even have a question for you. I'm just going to get the heck out of your way because you have some very big news on your federal ballot tracking. Big bad news, especially if you're on the red team. Latest nanos tracking. We do this every week. Every once in a while, we want to we take a look at these numbers. But, well, check it out. Conservative Party of Canada, 36%. They're up and they're ahead a full five percentage points over the Liberal Party of Canada, who are back at 31. NDP 19, Bloc 6, Green Party 5, People's Party at around 3%. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we're looking at numbers like this. Bad news for the Liberals. You know, sometimes it's because the Conservative Party doesn't really have a leader, so people project onto it. But to mm. be five points back is not ideal. Like, let's face it, they've come off the pandemic. They've just won, uh, they've won a, a federal election, even with a, a minority government. And uh, it looks right now that uh, Canadians are grumpy and the Conservatives are in the driver's seat. And you know what? If these numbers, Michael, go up even higher, especially depending on the outcome of the uh, outcome of the Conservative election this fall, it could be really bad news for the Liberal Party right now. Hmm. Well, Nick, let's get into this. This is, again, uh, for our listeners you are listening to CTV's Trendline. I'm Michael Stiddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And, and like I said, we're going to take a brief summer break, but we will be back, don't worry, in, in August. Uh, Nick, as you touched on uh, in previous episodes, uh, yeah, sometimes a party actually does better without a leader, uh, weirdly, sometimes. But in this case, do you think it's more uh, the economy and, and perhaps liberal fatigue? that's driving well, up the Conservatives? I think there are, there are a number of things at play. First of all, there's always a best before date for every government. The Liberals have been in power since 2015. And you know what, Michael, there's not a lot of stuff that's new. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of things that they're still working to deliver on, like on reconciliation, like on the environment. And uh, I think for some Canadians, it's, it's looking a bit tired mm. uh, for the Liberals. And you know, the other interesting thing in this environment is that the narrative in the media and, you know, for some conservative uh, leadership aspirants, such as Pierre Poiliev, uh, you know, he's claiming to have won this already by selling more, more memberships and a majority of memberships. So this is these conservative numbers are up in the context that, you know, a populist uh, such as Pierre Poiliev could potentially be the leader. But, hmm. you know, I think the undertone in all of this is inflation, the economy, the rising price price of gas. Canadians were bruised through the pandemic, hoping to put that behind them to get back to some sort of normalcy. And now people are really worried about the economy. They're, even the R word is being said, or potential mm. recession and mm -hmm. interest rates even potentially going up. So just, just how worried are Canadians about uh, the economic future of this country? Well, we track with Bloomberg Consumer Confidence every week, and we look at this, this long-term trend line that goes back to 2008. And uh, I'm going to do like a 10-second geek out. So this is a 100-point mm -hmm. scale. Anything under 50 is negative. Anything over 50 is positive. You can see, Michael, that over the long term, that Canadians tend to be positive in terms of economic confidence. And there's only a handful of occasions where this has hit 50, which is neutral. One of them was the 2008 recession. Then we had it on two other occasions, including the pandemic. And now this is the fourth time, only the fourth time in, uh, in 14 years where we've gone into this territory. And it speaks to the fact that a significant proportion of Canadians probably think that there's going to be a downturn in the economy in the next 60 to 90 days. And uh, they're buckling up 
mm. for uh, for bad news. You know, when they see, and you know, we also had news this week that uh, inflation has hit a record that we haven't seen for quite a long time. It's at seven point seven percent, very wow. high. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's just another piece of news that creates a high level of anxiety and uncertainty for average Canadians. Uh, I, I know a lot of Canadians uh, traditionally have, have a lot of investment tied up in, in uh, real estate and in, yep. in property. And, and I'm curious how that's, how that's doing uh, these days. Well, you know, for some Canadians, the housing, the renting and housing market has been absolutely crushing for them. You know, during the pandemic, we actually saw a, a rise in activity in terms of sales as, as Canadians were saying, hey, I've got to work from home now. I might need to have a different type of living arrangement. Hmm. And uh, the, the housing economy has been exceptionally hot. But now we're seeing a reverse. And uh, right now, uh, you know, when we ask Canadians whether they think the value of real estate will either increase or decrease in the next six months, about 41% think that it's going to increase while I think about 26% say that it's going to decrease. That might sound pretty good. But the fact of the matter is, is that in the last four weeks, the positive sentiment, that 41% has dropped a full 13 percentage points. Wow. And uh, I think a lot of this has to do with, uh, with you know, people worried about uh, interest rates going up, what, what inflation might mean, and uh, also just worry about the uh, worry about the economy. So the hot Real estate market, period, full stop, right now, mm. today at least, is no longer hot and is starting to be a little more tepid than it has been, at least in the last couple of years. So this is, uh, this is the situation that, that uh, the federal government has to address. And, and uh, Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister uh, Christian Freeland was making the rounds uh, recently uh, discussing the, the state of Canada's economy uh, and inflation. And what, what did you make of her messaging, uh, Nick? Do you think she's connecting with uh, Canadians? Well, you know, I think it's appropriate for all governments to try to keep uh, citizens calm mm -hmm. and not to institute any kind of uh, fear or further fuel anxiety. And you know what? The, the liberals have used that, that, uh, that turn of phrase, we've got your back throughout the whole pandemic. And it looks like they're, they're carrying through on that in terms of their, their messaging. However, and this is a big however, a lot of this is outside of the control of the uh, federal government. Not everything, but a lot of this is. You know, the rising price of energy has to do with global events, such as what's happening in Ukraine mm -hmm. and, uh, and the war uh, between Ukraine and Russia. That's completely outside of the role of uh, or the purview of, of the federal government. And in some instances, I think we have to say that it could very well be, and some economists from some of the major banks are arguing that the government is to blame for some of this, uh, some of this inflation because they've pumped so much stimulus uh, into the economy that it's had a distorting effect. Yes, it's helped Canadians pay the bill, but mm. uh, it's had a bit of a distorting, uh, distorting effect. And you know that stock market has taken a hit where it's it's down significantly uh, over the last number of weeks. So, you know, not great news on, on any of these fronts. Now, on the other side of the aisle, we, we have uh, conservative uh, leadership candidates like Pierre Polyev really seizing on this issue. Uh, as you said, make, taking perhaps a more populist stance uh, against this and, and directly blaming uh, institutions like the Bank of Canada, for example, for, for this. And he's also been talking a lot about uh, the housing crisis in, in this country. Uh, and I, I feel like he, he may be... Uh, you know, really using this to propel momentum in, in his own leadership campaign. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, he knows exactly what he's doing. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, Michael, is if you can't pay your mortgage, if you can't pay your rent, if you're struggling to pay your bills, you're probably thinking, hey, it can't get worse. Let's try for something different. And what Polyev is, is tapping into is uh, what I'll say an anti-establishment that our big institutions and from his perspective, he would include the Bank of Canada and that, and the government and stuff like that, that our institutions have failed the average Canadians and that it's time to do something different. And he's, he's tapped into a sentiment that's out there where for those Canadians, and you know what, in, according to our research, upwards of three out of every 10 Canadians are worried about just paying for the rent or paying for their mortgage. Mm. For those people, it's, it's a very compelling message because basically economically they're on the ropes. They're not sure what's gonna happen. They're worried about whether they can pay the bill. And then there's someone out there, his name is Pierre Poiliev, who is blaming someone, institutions and institutions failing. And mm. they're thinking, you know what? It's time to shake things up. But you know, the thing is, is it's gonna be an interesting race because we shouldn't discount you know, Jean Charest, Patrick Brown, and we shouldn't discount Leslie Lewis because uh, you know, it's a real fight for the heart and soul of the party. And on the other side of the ledger are uh, our, our options, leadership options that are not as confrontational, at least with institutions compared to Pierre Poiliev. Hmm. I, I just want to uh, go back to the to the liberals and maybe Nick, you can give them some summer homework uh, during our break. Uh, uh, you, you touched on the fact that there hasn't been really any major new uh, announcements. It's a lot of re-announcements, I, I think. So I think I know what your your summer homework assignment will be, but yep. but if you are the liberal government, uh, what do you do to sort of, you know, reignite momentum uh, in their favor? Well, they've got to do something new. You, can, you can't be just seeing the same old stuff over and over again. Um, and, you know, I think part of the challenge in the in the liberal narrative right now is that the liberal government, whether you like or dislike them, has been very ambitious on a number of the big files, but it just seems like the talk and what I'll say the financial commitments have not converted into uh, into a real impact. And, and maybe one of the ones that's probably the most glaring is uh, reconciliation that the liberals, this liberal government led by Justin Trudeau is one is, I would say, the government that has been at the very top of the list for wanting to move forward on reconciliation compared to other governments. They've, they've committed money, if you remember, in their first budget, 10 billion bucks mm. uh, to help move this forward. But you know what? Indigenous peoples are just unhappy because they just don't see impact. There's still, there's still places where the water is not drinkable and where people's homes are not livable, even after all this talk and promises from the Liberal government. So I think the Liberals, you know, before they even think about doing something new, they have to move the dial on some of these, some of these big issues mm. uh, like reconciliation. And I would put the environment also in that category to show that they've made progress because the fact of the matter is in 2025, there's gonna be an election and it's gonna be hard to put a happy face if they haven't made any major accomplishments or move the dial significantly after they've had 10 years to be in power. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an election coming up much sooner than, than 2025. That's in October, the Quebec election. Uh, so I just yeah. want to check in there, uh, Nick. Uh, Quebec Premier Francois Legault is, is very good at making a big splash. Uh, recently, that was uh, uh, 
Bill 96, uh, extremely controversial. This is the language that more shores up uh, language protection rights. Uh, but critics say that it's going to, uh, you know, cause real issues for people seeking uh, government services in a language aside from French. Uh, what, what do you make of this? Is, is this a way to kind of, uh, you know, build up his chances at re-election? Well, if you're, uh, if you're an Anglophone or an English person in the province of Quebec, you are super nervous right now with Bill 96 because you're wondering whether, hey, you know what? The, uh, you know, my marriage certificate will only be in French. There'll be no English. What's going to happen when I go see a physician? and uh, need uh, to access the provincial healthcare system. And you know, hospitals, universities, employers are now grappling with what this might all mean. You know, the interesting twist in all of this is that, you know, the Legos party, the CAC, they've got a massive advantage. Mm. You know, like in, in the latest uh, Leger polling, and I have a lot of time for Jean-Marc Leger and the quality of his work, mm. he's got them at 44%. The Liberal Party of Quebec's at 17, Quebec's wow. there at 15. Like, you know, um, it might not be nice to say, but he's in puppy stop. Like we thought Doug Ford had a big win. Yeah. Well, wow, this, this could be <laughs> even a greater win. So it's hard to see uh, why the Legault government has embarked down this hmm. other than to make sure that he keeps Quebecers mobilized. Because, you know, the thing is, is that once you step outside of the island, you think of Quebec as like two provinces, mm. the island of Montreal and then the rest. Mm. And uh, on the island of Montreal, there's a lot more diversity uh, on the island of Montreal, linguistic, cultural, racial uh, diversity. But once you step off that, you know, something like Bill 96 is basically a slam dunk. So, you know, I think, you know, he's and I think he's done this. Uh, but, you know, it might not be good for the Quebec economy in the long term. So who knows? He'll probably keep this out there. And then perhaps after he wins uh, another big mandate, which if there were an election held today, he would have won another. He would be winning another big majority um, that maybe he'll uh, moderate things a little bit. He had that mm. strategy during the pandemic. Remember, he came out hard on vaccinations and then yeah. did a little bit of a pullback. But you know what? By going hard and doing a pullback, he actually... He actually reaped a political dividend, right? Because he appeased those people that wanted a hard line. But then when he took a step back, he sounded reasonable. We might see that same strategy perhaps with uh, Bill 96, that by going hard in favor of French language and French culture, that he gets, uh, he gets some kudos from Quebecers who that's really important to. And mm -hmm. then maybe if he moderates himself after the election, he'll get a little bit of relief from those Anglophones and English-speaking uh, people in the province of Quebec who might be worried about how far this might go. Uh, it, it's really uh, made waves in federal politics as well. Uh, we, we've had Liberal MPs uh, protesting uh, against it uh, in the uh, federal Conservative leadership race. Uh, I believe Patrick Brown has come out against it. Uh, Jean Charest and Pierre Polyev have, you know, maybe. Uh, not given the clearest answer either way on it, I, I suppose it's safe to say. Uh, I mean, if, if, if you're a, a federal party, uh, what, what do you really, what can you really do in, in a situation like this? You're being tortured, Michael. It's like pure <laughs> torture. Because yeah. let's face it, Legault is the most popular political figure in the province of Quebec. He's got a provincial lock on the government. He's got a lock on the people. And he's, he's exceptionally popular. Mm. And, you know, the thing is, is what we've seen since he's been the premier are individuals, politicians from other levels of government trying to curry favor 
either to replicate the Lego franchise or to be friendly with him and to connect with him. But this is a very, a very divisive issue. You know, like if you happen to be a conservative um, and, you know, it's, it's a tough one to, to juggle because, you know, you want to win seats in the province of Quebec, but at the same time, you don't want to repel your uh, English Canadian base outside of the province of Quebec. And the same thing goes for the liberals, right? And, you know, the liberals need to, uh, you know, make sure that they do well in the in the province of Quebec federally, but at the same time can't be looking at alienating voters. So it's it's tor- I, th- I think for for anyone else, it's like torture. It's it's basically political torture to try to have to do a very careful dance on Bill 96 and uh, let go and uh, try to, to keep yourself whole. Uh, Nick, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to go south of the border and look at the U.S. midterms and what the future might hold for the uh, Democrats. Super. Uh, Nick, it seems like every day another headline comes out of the uh, January 6th uh, Capitol Hill uh, riot hearings in in, in the U.S., Um, and it's all these shocking headlines about, you know, the, the political events around the Republican Party leading up to the Capitol Hill uh, riot. Uh, but uh, every headline I hear about the U.S. midterm suggests that the Republicans are do- going to do extremely well. So what, what's going on? Man, whether you call it a riot, insurrection, whatever, revolution, whatever you want to call it, it's basically uh, gripped, uh, gripped the U.S. Uh, electorate, these hearings. But, you know, the interesting thing about this is that, you know, a majority of Republican voters believe Donald Trump and his assertion that the election was stolen. Mm. So, you know what, you might be thinking this is so controversial, but it's kind of like, depending on where you are in the political spectrum, you actually see, you actually see all these hearings very differently. But actually what's absolutely clear right now from a polling perspective is that a very, very strong majority of Canadian, of Americans, that is, think that the United States is moving in the wrong track. This is bad news for Biden. It's bad news for the Democrats. And, you know, check out this trend line. Hmm. You know, um, you know, you look at this particular trend line, you can see almost 70 percent. Americans don't agree on anything. Almost 70 percent of Americans believe that the country is moving in the wrong, uh, wrong direction or wrong track compared to only 20, a paltry 20 hmm. percent. What does this mean? Even if you're a committed Democrat, Right. You don't think that the country is going in the right in the in the right direction, mm. and uh, and and this is where you know the midterms, and uh, you know we may see a, a situation where you know if the if the Biden presidency is having difficulty now, yikes! Go yeah. figure what's going to happen if uh, if we get to those midterm elections and uh, and the Democrats are dealt a setback in both of those houses. Yeah. Do you do you think there's a real chance here, Nick, that the Democrats can lose uh, lose control of one or both houses? Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, mathematically, when you look at a lot of these midterm elections for first term uh, first term presidents, they're always they're always never great. It's kind of Mm. like, you know, they give the mandate to one party and then Americans want to have a little bit of control. There's a bit of a I won't call it a recoil effect, but maybe we'll call it like a market or political correction that takes place, hmm. uh, except we may see a uh, correction that takes place uh, in the House House of Representatives and the Senate that is a little more dramatic than what we've seen in the past. And you know what? 
it just it's you know the big question is the democrats are going to get a setback how big will it be that's the only thing that's in doubt mm. not if there be a setback it's how big that setback will be and you know what america still a global power still important to foreign policy still important to the world economy uncertainty in america or instability in america and we've learned this through the donald trump era regardless of what you think but instability and uncertainty in america is never good for the world it's not good for canada because you know what canada needs is a boring relationship where everybody's just focused on prosperity and creating jobs and people go about their business and uh, not dealing with what i'll say domestic politics in uh, in the united states hmm. i if we do end up in with a lame duck presidency i mean what what do you think that will look like well i think uh I think depending on the, the magnitude of the setback for the Democrats, I think the Democrats will start to speculate on who will be their nominee for the next uh, presidential election. Mm. Because, you know, the thing is, they'll only be two years off from a presidential election. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Biden uh, is of a, a particular vintage. Uh, the big question is, is would he even want to stay on uh, for a second term? And how would he feel about that? But would the, would the Democrat leadership want him to, to stay on? Uh, if there's no turnaround. And, you know, the thing is, is if the if the U.S. economy gets in, into any kind of recession or downturn, that'll be even worse news for the Americans. You know, it's like one of the thing, one of the things, you know, if Americans think that Washington is a goat rodeo, it might be amusing every once in a while because mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's those idiots in Washington. However, if the economy suffers, then it's actually much more material in terms of the impact on the day to day lives that makes people Americans, American voters, even more ornery than mm. they would naturally be. Uh, Nick, as always, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take it easy.